prayed a thousand prayers, but still the answer hasn't come. And a thousand hopes left broken have left you all but numb. I can't begin to tell you why he's asking you to wait. But here in the silence, keep holding on to faith. Because the God I know can still move mountains. The God I know still calms the raging sea. He holds you safely in his arms and he won't let go. That's the God I know. Our God is always near to those who call upon his name. He said that he'd be with us when we're walking through the flame. So tell your heart to trust him, in this moment give him praise. Lift a hallelujah, he will make a way. The God I know can still move mountains. The God I know still calms the raging sea. safely in his arms and he won't let go that's the God I know I've seen him move so many times before and if there's one thing I know for sure the God I know still move mountains. The God I know still calms the raging sea. He holds you safely in his arms and he won't let go. He won't let go. That's the God I know. Thank you. That was a tremendous song. I don't know. Did you put the music program together tonight, Brother Mark, or arrange the songs and stuff? No? Don't know? A little bit? He did some? I don't know. It was great, and uh, it works right in. He, all night we've been singing about prayer, talking about prayer, and uh, even just there, what the access we have through God. And we're going to continue on that subject of prayer as we move into the message time tonight. And so go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1 tonight, if you would. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look here. Um, at Paul's life a little bit, and uh, we're going to start uh, just briefly, but with an explanation. We know uh, that Paul's conversion began on the road to the road to. Oh wait, are you just not here? You don't know. I mean, I, the road to 
There we go. That's a little bit better. All right, we're getting there. All right. The road to Damascus, all right? And so, um, yeah, we've all heard the COVID joke about Damascus and everything, right? Yeah, no, all right, we won't go there either. Um, but uh, we know that he, he gets in that, uh, he's on that journey. The Lord asks him, why are you kicking against the pricks? You know, you, you can't fight the Holy Spirit your whole life here, Saul. You're, you're fighting a losing battle. I'm convicting you. I'm drawing you. How long are you going to continue down this path? And uh, we know that Saul uh, repents. He turns to the Lord. And he loses his sight in that, that vision of the Lord and uh, heads over to uh, the city of Damascus there. And, and uh, we know that um, the Lord gave him a vision that a man named Ananias would come to him. And Ananias would give him back his sight. And he would be baptized. And we know that uh, he would begin his ministry there. Ananias was pretty doubtful when God came to him. Do you remember this? God, are you sure? <laughs> I have heard about this Saul. And what I've heard is if I go to him, I'm probably going to end up dead. You sure? Are you sure you want me to go this direction? And, and the Lord says, absolutely. But in the middle of all of that, the Lord had given a reassurance to Ananias even before he verbally questioned, questioned God. Obviously, it was a reasonable response in some senses for Ananias to say, are you sure you want me to go? But God gave him a, a little snippet, a, a proof of conversion in Saul's life. In Acts, uh, and you don't have to turn there, just, just listen. I hope you're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be there in just a moment. In Acts chapter 9, in verse number 11, when the Lord was speaking to Ananias, he said, Go to that street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. The indicator that God gave concerning a true conversion taking place in the Apostle Paul's life to Ananias, was that he prayeth. Something has changed. You, don't th you think that Saul never prayed before? You don't think that Saul had done all of his rituals and gone through all that movement? You don't think people had seen him maybe with all of his flak trees and uh, all the scripture tied around his forehead and his arm and his heart? And You don't think people had seen him probably you know, lift up his hands as the Pharisees did and, Oh Lord, I'm not worthy, beat his chest. Oh, they've seen him pray before, but something had taken, a different change had taken place. And God said, no, no, Ananias, there's something different now in this, this servant, this servant of mine. He prayeth. And there, that ought to be an, an indication of a believer. That something has changed in your life. That there is a newfound dependency upon God. God without you, and Brother Brian just said it in prayer a moment ago, without you I can do nothing. When we come through conversion or salvation but find no dependence upon God, man, I would say that even from what we see here in the Word of God here, maybe something hasn't quite taken place the way that it should. Because we ought to come out of our realization that we are a sinner in need of salvation and say, God, I need you. And I'm going to come before your throne and I'm going to understand the privilege and the right that I have now to be in your presence. Come boldly in prayer. And so Saul began praying right away. And I'm sure his prayers immediately were, Lord, are you going to give me back my sight? Lord, what are you going to do with me? Why, why am I here and what's going to happen now? I'm sure he had prayers concerning himself 
But as a believer matures, no doubt those prayers turn from inward to outward as well. You ought to be praying for yourself, no doubt, but you ought to be praying for one another. And the Apostle Paul matured to that. Throughout some of the epistles, we see Paul talk about praying. But in a few of those instances, he shares what his prayers are regarding the saints. And that's what I want to look at tonight in the, in the uh, Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is continuing this habit of prayer that began in salvation. And in verse number 15, let's start there. He said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. Let me just pause there for a moment. He said, Hey, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and it produced something in you, love unto all the saints. Conversion in your life ought to produce prayer, but here's another fruit. It ought to produce love for the saints. All right? And, uh, and so he said here, I, I've heard of that in you. And he said in verse number 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And I am constantly in prayer for you. And, and, and there's something here that I pray for you. And, and he's going to share with them. This is what I've been praying. What an insight. Because there's not very many instances of prayer in God's word. But here there is. He shares with us, I, I've, I've not ceased to pray this prayer for you. I think it's a tremendous insight tonight. So, uh, we're going to just we're going to study this topic tonight of an example of prayer and a prayer that we can pray for the saints, one for ourselves and this prayer that we could be praying and I would even argue tonight should be praying for each other. And so, we'll take a few moments to look at this. Father, we do ask that you would guide this sermon tonight, that you would guide the the speaking, my lips, my mind. Uh, Lord, may you guard my thoughts and uh, may you help me to deliver exactly what you want. May you be with the hearers well. Lord, may our hearts be open to receive what you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse number 17, he begins this prayer. This is what I've been praying for you. He's going to, in this passage, and uh, before we get into verse number 17, he's going to ask for three distinct prayer requests. He's got three distinct things that he wants for them, and he's going to ask the Lord for. But before he gets to those... I've kind of broke it down this way, that he builds a foundation. That I, I, I have three things, really, that I'm going to ask for, but uh, there's something that's got to be done first. There's a working that's got to take place in your life first before these three things will really come into play. And so he builds a foundation first, and then he gives these three requests, things that he's bringing before the Lord. Verse number 17, he says, I pray, according to verse number 16, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I want to pause because as I was reading this passage and what drew me to it to begin with, started here, not in Acts. It started in Ephesians chapter 1. When I read this phrase, it caught my attention. I knew that He was praying for these saints, but this verse is where it all started. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the phrase that got me. I've probably read it a million times and read it other places in the Bible. But it's not the God of you, of your salvation. It's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of Jesus Christ? The God of Jesus Christ? 
Wait, I thought Jesus is part of the Trinity. I thought Jesus is in God and that he is God, the God of Jesus Christ. And that was the phrase that caught my attention right away. And as I began to study this, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, I began to understand and to see that Jesus Christ became flesh for us. And he came and dwelt among men to redeem us. And so the writer Paul is rightly speaking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus in flesh, became man. And so he rightly speaks it is God. It is his God. As man, he was God. And we know that Jesus Christ submitted himself to him as God. He also calls him Father later on, and he is the eternal Son of God, and so he rightly speaks again that this is the God of Jesus, and it is the Father of Jesus, and it still stands today. I believe that there are phrases used all throughout Scripture that sometimes we just gloss right over, and some of those are when the Bible speaks about divinity, when it speaks about God, and specifically addressing him a certain way. And Paul, by no accident here, says that I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ will give you something here. Because he wants the hearer and he wants these people to understand that God, not just any God, but the God. The God of Jesus Christ. Who is that? That's the creator God. And that's where my mind began to go right away is that this is God, the creator of the universe. The one who's in control of all things. The one who shaped and formed. The one who spoke this world into existence. That's the God that Paul is praying to right here. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he's going to do a work in your heart. He wants us to see that God is powerful enough to do this work. That God is powerful enough to answer these requests. How often do we casually enter into the throne room of God asking for things, but our God is not even big enough for the answer? And I mean, maybe I'm alone in that, but sometimes it's just kind of, this is what I need to do. I need to pray, but my faith is small. But the apostle says here, no, this is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you come before him, you can know that he can answer this request. He's the God that sustained Jesus Christ while he was on earth. He was the God that Jesus Christ poured himself out to. I need your strength. I want to do your will. And Paul is crying out to that same God. The same God that you and I have access to. And he says here that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Oh man, he's the Father of perfection. This is the God that wants the very best for you. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't have a bad plan. Just submit to him. Go to him and ask for things. And he wants to give you what's good. Ye being men know how to give give good gifts. How much more your heavenly father? He says he's the father of glory. When you come before his throne, you're speaking and you're addressing the father of glory, the father of perfection. For all have sinned, right? We use the Bible to define biblical words. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all fall short of perfection. This is the father of perfection. Hey, we know we live in a world where there's another father, don't we? A little G-God, and he's the father of lies. But here, when you go before God, you're going before the father of truth, of excellence, of perfection. And you can bring your requests to him. What an amazing place that we can enter into. Man, we're never going to get through this prayer. 
the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Man, this is the place. This is where we find ourselves. He said, I'm in this presence with God, and I'm asking that he may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is the foundational request that he's going to build all the rest on. We're going to take some time to get through this because it's important. There has to be foundations. We need to be built up in our lives, layer upon layer, truth upon truth, precept upon precept. That's how we build our Christian lives. It has to be stacked on top of each other. That's why being in the house of God is so important. That's why being in the word of God is so important. So these things can pile up in your life. And it can build layers of strength. Man, he says here that I pray that the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Is this a new spirit? Is there some additional filling that I missed out on? The spirit of wisdom and revelation? Because I've never prayed to ask that spirit to be a part of me. Being a little facetious because we know that this is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is who works in us. And the Apostle Paul is, he's, he's entering into this throne room and he's saying, hey, uh, church family, I've been praying for you. And I've been praying that in your life, uh, you would have the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is a prayer request that comes with required work. It's one of those things that the Apostle Paul is asking for that it's not really just something that's going to be poured out by God and it's all done on God's behalf. He's saying, I've been praying for you that you would have the spirit of God of revelation, the spirit of wisdom in your life, that you would come, that you would be in there the knowledge of, of him. Don't miss this. And this is not complicated. This is not hard. I'm really just walking through a passage with you tonight. The knowledge of him. Who knows who Jesus Christ is? You've accepted him as your savior in your life. You know for sure if you were to die today, you're on your way to heaven. You've come, all right? So hopefully everyone in this room, you've come into the knowledge of Christ. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's already clarified in the first 15 verses that he is speaking to the saints at Ephesus. He's not requesting or praying that they come to salvation. It's not what he's after here. He's saying, I'm before the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all power, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who sustained his very son while he lived his life on this earth. I'm before his throne on your behalf. So that you can start to see him as perfect, the father of perfection and the father of truth. So that he would give to you and that you would gain a a, a better understanding of the word of God through the Holy Spirit. That you can come into a knowledge of him. You see, there is way too much. Listen to me very carefully. There is way too much intellectual Christianity. Too much study and too many commentaries and too many devotionals and too many sources of knowledge and too much internet. But there's very little 
in the house of God, very little knowing of who God is. What was Paul's prayer throughout his life? That I may know him. I want to know him. Did Paul know who Jesus Christ was? Absolutely, he knew who he was. But he said, man, there's a knowledge that's ongoing. There's a knowledge that I crave. There's a knowledge I've got to have. I want to know who he is. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. Me being made conformable to the image of his son. He said, i got to know Him. It, it's just yearning within me. Who is this God? Who is man? That thou art mindful of Him. And the Son of Man, that thou visitest Him. God, I want to know You. And Paul is coming before this congregation. He's saying, I've got prayer requests for you. But it starts out with, you have got to get to start to know who God is. You have got to be in a place where the Spirit of God can reveal the truth because you can't know this other, any other way. What is the natural man? The natural man discerneth not the things, the Word of God, because they are spiritually discerned. They're spiritually discerned. The natural man can't see it. He can't understand it. But the Spirit... It begins to reveal. It begins to expound. Hey, have you ever been somewhere and you're listening to a preacher and you're like, how have I missed it all this time? Man, I've been there. How did I never see this? How come it never... And it's just like you hear this. You've been in a class and somebody was sharing. Maybe you've been talking to a brother or sister in Christ and they start talking about something they've learned in their devotional and your, your heart just like, it connects. The Spirit bears witness in you and you're like, man, this is an awesome truth. How did I miss this? Hey, there's things that are spiritually discerned in the Word of God that you can't get a hold of without the Spirit of God. doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how hard you work. You have to have the Spirit of God. And so this is a prayer request that he's making on their behalf. But it does require that they put some work in. Why? Because there's only two reasons the Spirit of God would not be able to share with you the truth of the Word of God. One, you're grieving or hindering Him. So sin is in your life. You've broken fellowship with God and he can't speak to you. That's the simple truth. Your connection, your power cord is unplugged and there is no juice flowing through that line. The only way to get back to it is to confess your sin, return, repent from it, and plug back in. Unplug Siri while you're at it. All right? But uh, you got to plug back in. All right? The other reason, you have the Holy Spirit of God. uh, You might have sin in your life. The other reason why you might not be able to get anything out of the Word of God, and I think this is probably the biggest problem, maybe, is you just don't put the time in. You just don't put the time in. You just don't put the time into it. There was an old preacher, and uh, he was traveling to visit some family. He was in Ireland. He was a young man. He was recounting this as an old man, but he was a young man, and he went home to visit family in the northern part of Ireland, and when he got home, he found that his family had allowed an elderly man who was dying to stay on their property, and the elderly man chose to stay in a tent, and he was just underneath of an olive tree, had his tent pitched there. I think the older man's name was Andrew Fraser. I don't remember the other guy's name, 
He was nobody. I mean, he's not anybody significant in history. But he made an impact on this young man. This young man was a preacher, and he would become uh, pretty popular, I think, in, in uh, the United Kingdom. But this young man went home, and he said, I'm going to go out there and visit, you know, with this elderly man. And he went out to visit this elderly man. He was dying. It was some type of consumption, uh, lung disease. And uh, he couldn't barely breathe because his lungs were so weak. He said, I went out, and I saw that frail old man sitting in his tent. He said, the moment I locked eyes with him, I could see the peace of heaven in his face. So I looked at him and I saw the peace of heaven in his face. Dying old man could barely lift his voice. The, there was some brief words of introduction exchanged and the young man had already heard from the family who, or the older man had already heard from the family who this young man was and that he was a preacher. And He said, young man, you, you're a preacher, are you not? Trying to, you're going to preach Christ? And the young man said, yes, I am. He said, come sit with me then. Let's open up the word of God together. And that young man said it was one of the most impactful times of his life. He said, I sat with that old man, and he moved from passage to passage. He said, and so simply, so earnestly, he opened truths from the word of God that I had just never seen. And he said, my heart just burned within me as these truths were revealed. And at the end of this man who could barely speak to begin with, his strength was gone and he, he, they were concluding and he said, point me in the direction. What books can I read? Did you learn this in college? What, how can I study the Bible like you have studied? How can I learn these truths? And the older man said, you'll never find it in a book. You'll never find it in a college. And there's no seminary that can teach you. He said, I've learned these truths in an old sod cabin where I spent hours on my knees before the Lord asking for him to reveal truth to me and that his spirit would enlighten my eyes and that he would show me, open up the mysteries of the word of God, that he would reveal to me the truths of the word of God. And I just poured myself into that. If you want it, it's there for you. He said, man, it was such an impactful time in my life because that Holy Spirit is available to you and I. It's in us. It's just a matter of whether or not we're going to let him work through us. And that either means we have to make sure there is no sin in our life, that we are clean vessels, and it also means that we've got to put in the work. It's not going to happen without hours on your knees. It's not going to happen unless you take the precious word of God and it becomes precious to you and you begin to pour yourself into it. I've been there, I have sat and I've listened to preachers and, I, and I've just sat there like, God, why don't you speak to me like that? And far too often we settle on, oh, they just got some secret sauce or they know how to study the Bible or they've got tricks or they, they have resources or they've been doing it a long time or they're just really smart and they can put A and B together. Wrong. That's a lie of the devil to keep you out of the book because the preacher has no less of the, or you have no less of the Holy Spirit of God than the preacher does. And he will reveal truth to you and he will let you see it and he will speak to you and he will burn your heart with the word of God if you will put the time in. 
It's time to put away the devotionals. It's time to put away the help books. It's time for us to get into the Word of God and to study it and to know it and to get to know Him. Man, I see it far too often. My wife and I talk about it all the time, but just people want to pour themselves into these devotionals and they always want to be fed by somebody else. They want to podcast and... They want a preaching sermon and they want radio stations they can stream from all the time and just be fed, spoon-fed the Word of God. And I'm okay with it. Supplement it. Bring it in. Fill your heart and mind. But walk with the the Lord. Get into the Word yourself. And let the Holy Spirit just reveal truths to you. You will never truly have a fire for the Lord until you get into that book and the Holy Spirit begins to just speak to you. And you begin to know the voice, the voice of the Lord. What a foreign thing today. People are so confused, and even in the church, so confused. Bad decisions, off wrong directions. Why? Because the voice of the Lord was never known or has been silenced. Because we've been absent from this. We have got to get into the book. And that's what he says here. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him. Hey, I hope you're praying this for yourself. And if not, pray it for each other and start now. Pray it for the body of Christ. Pray it for your pastor. God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon our pastor so that he can see the truths of the Word of God? God, would you be with my Sunday school class? God, would you be with my friend at church? God, would you be with my spouse? God, would you be with my children? Would you pour out your Spirit that they can know you? Oh, man, we've got to know who God is. Not of Him or about Him. Got to know him. Got to know him. Oh God, God knows my heart's desire, but how often my flesh intervenes even in that desire. We've got to keep a short leash on our sins and we've got to stay before the throne room of God. God, pour out your spirit upon me. Let me see, reveal the truths of your word. Help me to know you. And so now he gets into these prayer requests. Really, that was the longest part of it, and I'm going to move through these pretty quickly here. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So he's assuming that the believer's in a place where the Holy Spirit can speak to them, right? And that they're putting in the time. And he says the result of that is the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Hey, again, let me reiterate. How did we come to Christ? They that, um, we believe in him, right? Man believeth with his heart, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? We believe in, in our hearts. It is not our minds that help us to see who God is. This relationship with the Lord began in our hearts, and it must be continued in our hearts. And so when he says the eyes of their, uh, the, the enlightening of their eyes, 
that he talks about here, the verse number 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He's not talking about some kind of enlightenment, some kind of intellectual ascension where you've reached a certain plateau and now you're a genius. No, he's saying that you've started to know who God is and it's sunk deep into your heart. And I can tell you, I have been in those sweet moments with the Lord where that relationship with him has just grabbed a hold of my heart and squeezed it. Like those disciples walking with Jesus. Did not our hearts burn with us while we talked with him, while we walked with him in the way? Man, your heart just burns. I've been in that. And that's what he's saying. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You've, you've been to this place with Jesus where you begin to know who he is. He says, now that you've gotten there, that ye may know, this is my, my prayer request for you, that I pray that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's prayer request number one. I pray that you may know what the hope of his calling is. This may be even a little bit confusing to us. We emphasize soul winning so much, we might think about our work being that God has called us to be soul winners, and he has. But that's not what he's speaking about here. He had already referenced it earlier uh, in the chapter. The, the hope of the calling that he has, that is referencing here is the fact that Christ has called them to himself. That he had redeemed them. Uh, if we look a little earlier here in this passage, uh, chapter number 1, verse number 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Man, he's talking about our calling here, that we have been chosen by God. That he, and we know that that choice that God made is that all men could come to him, that he offered up his son a sacrifice and opened up the door that we could come to him and he chose mankind to be redeemed. Not some people are going to heaven and some people aren't, but that we all have that option. And we see here, he said, hey, I've placed a calling in your life and I pray that you will, uh, through this understanding and knowing who God is, that you will know the hope of this calling. The hope of this calling. This is not our home. This world is not our home. We are not here permanently. And this world drags on us and it tears us down and it holds us back and it is so distracting. But he said, I pray for you. I pray for you, saints, that you will understand and as you get to know who Jesus Christ is, that you will understand the hope of his calling. Man, what is the hope of his calling? It boils down to nothing more than one day I will see him and know him as he is. And I will be like him. One day, this, this robe of flesh, we've talked about it, it's going to peel away. We talk about Miss Sue, and again, somebody earlier mentioned about not wanting to come back here. Why? Because she knows Jesus better than she ever did before. And she don't want to leave that place. Now we see through a glass... That's dark. But then, face to face. Hey, we have got to know, and it only comes through knowing who he is. We have got to know the hope of our calling. That this world is temporary, and its distractions are temporary. 
And all the money you can accumulate and all the fun you can have and all of the experiences you can enjoy, they mean nothing in eternity. Focus on the hope of His calling. This world is going to end. Believer, don't become distracted. Don't become so focused on it. It's going to end. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. Oh man, it's so hard tomorrow morning when I wake up and I say, man, I've got to go to work. I've got to do this. I've got to get this done. I've got to get this done. Man, it is not my hope. I am not hoping to get through another day. My hope is Jesus. Amen. And I've got to keep that in focus. And that was his prayer for the saints. Hey, I, I hope, I, I pray for you, not I hope. I pray for you that as you begin to truly understand who God is, and as you get into your Bibles, and as you begin to know him, and as you begin to spend hours on his knees, I hope that you get a perspective of what your true hope is, where it truly lies, that you may know What is the hope of his calling? The hope of his calling, when truly understood, begins to sink in really deep. Sinks deep into our hearts so that this world doesn't so easily distract us. And so that temptation isn't so appealing because we know him. We get a little bit of a taste of who he is. I pray that you would know the hope of your calling. The second thing that he says here is that I pray in verse number 18 that through, again, the enlightening, through the Holy Spirit and you beginning to know who God is, that you'll understand what the riches of the glory of his inheritance, of his inheritance in the saints. Man, we're familiar with the riches of his grace, right? We, we know that phrase. It's a little more familiar with us, right? That God pours out upon us those things that we just absolutely do not deserve. It's the riches of his grace. He just continually pours that out upon us. What's the riches of his glory? What, what is the riches of his glory? Well, it's, it's not even just that phrase that might throw us off. When you read the whole thing together, that you may know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glory, it's not the saints. It's his glory in the saints. It's, it's a little bit bewildering when you just read it and actually like look at the words. <laughs> you know, the Bible's funny like that. We just gloss over things so often. The riches of his glory in the saints. Hey, simply put, God's got a plan for you and me. And he wants us to understand, and Paul's prayer for the saints was that we would understand as well, that our hope is in Jesus Christ, and one day we'll stand before him and we'll shed this flesh, and we'll be like him and we'll know him as we are known, but also one day we're going to reign with him. Do you know what the inheritance of Jesus Christ is? He's going to reign. Is he not? Yeah, he's going to reign. Oh, buddy, it's going to be good because it's going to be a perfect place. And you and I are going to reign with him and we're going to rule on the throne with him. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ, are we not? Yes, we are. And he's going to rule and reign. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's sitting up there in heaven at the right hand of the Father saying, I can't wait for the day. The day's coming when what I gave myself for, what I sacrificed for, what I was uh, suffered for and what I bled for and what I died for, the day's coming when I'm going to be able to enjoy my inheritance 
in the saints. You know, he doesn't get there without you and me. Why? Because he bought us. And it's inside of us. It's who we are that he's going to rejoice in. Man, I have bought the body of Christ with my blood. And one day we're going to reign together on this earth, in a new, new, a new earth. And I'm looking forward to that day. But Paul's prayer was that you and I would learn to look forward to that day too. Man, what an amazing thing. The glory, it's mind-boggling. The glory of reigning with Jesus because he bought me. Not because I deserve it, but because he loved me and gave himself for me and became the propitiation for my sin. Not for mine only, but also the sin of the world. And he's looking forward to that day where you and I are going to reign with him. And he's saying, hey, church, he, Paul, is saying, hey, church, I pray for you. I hope and I pray for you that you will be in the word of God so that you can get to know who God is. And it can sink deep in your heart. And that enlightenment will help you to see that your hope is Jesus Christ. Don't focus on this world. And that there is a glorious inheritance. And one day you're going to rule and reign with Jesus. What Paul was saying here is so much bigger than just a simple prayer request. He's saying, church, your perspective has got to change. I pray for you that you will see things the right way. I pray for you that you will know how important it is you get to know who God is. And that you'll start to understand where your hope really lies and what inheritance awaits you. Do not for a moment think that this world is an inheritance to you. Do not for a moment think that you've got it good here. Oh, it might be better than you deserve, but good? Oh, it's about to be glorious. Glorious. But it's not all about the future. And so Paul closes out here in verse number 9. He says, And I want you to know, and I pray that you will understand... What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Hey, you've got something to look forward to. And it's awesome! But you have got something right now. You have got something right now. The power that he's working in you with. The Holy Spirit. Listen to this, verse 20. I was shouting in my office earlier, so I'm sorry I'm shouting at you too. Which he wrought in Christ. This is how strong this power is. Hey, he's not going to go to the Red Sea. Look at what I parted. He's not going to go to the wine. No, look at the water I turned to wine. He's not even going to point out Lazarus. He's going to say, there's a power in you. There's a power in you. Which... It's the same power that was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. The power you have, church, the power you have is the same Holy Spirit power that I used when Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb. It's the same power I used when he descended into hell and led captivity captive. It's the same path. That's what you got. 
And we're sitting back here like, I don't know if I can overcome this sin. I don't know that I can resist temptation. It's my own voice. It's what my voice sounds like in my head. I don't know that I'm strong enough. I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can... Oh God, I don't have the strength. Oh God, I'm so weak. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. I'm so discouraged. I'm so depressed. Here we are like, we've got nothing. <laughs> and he's saying, hey, buster. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, church, I've been praying for you. That you'll begin to know. I hope that you go, get in this book and you begin to know what your hope is and what your inheritance is. And I hope that you start to understand the power that is inside of you. What I've given to you, the gift that I've given to you right now. Which, verse number 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. I mean, he just keeps going on. It's not even that he rose him from the dead and set him at his right hand. He set him far above all principality and power and might and dominion. and Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. To the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He said, the same Holy Spirit that brought him from the dead and that brought him up out of uh, leading captivity captive and the same Holy Spirit that set him at the right hand of God the Father, the same one who put his name above every name, that every, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I put him above principalities and I put him above powers. I put him above anybody in this world. And it's not just this world, it's in the world to come. That same power, that's the power you have. That's who dwells within you. Know who Jesus is. Know who dwells within you. It's crazy to think here. I just have the side note. I'm killing the clock. but He said that he used this power to put everybody under Christ. In verse number 23, he says, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This Holy Spirit is so powerful that did all of these things that he wants us to understand, did a thing that is hard to understand. He made you and I the body to the head. Isn't that hard? I mean, if that's hard for me, that means... Christ is incomplete in the biblical sense of what the church is and what he's done here without you and me. That he created us to fill a position that would make him whole. Man, that ought to cause you to pause and think about how you're living this life. If nothing else does, God redeemed me that I can be the body to his head. God saved me and bought me with a price because I am going to fulfill his plan and this marriage that's going to take place when he calls his bride home. The church. Hey, Ephesians, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love for each other. 
and I've ceased not to pray for you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom and revelation. I pray that you'll begin to open up your Bible and put the time into it so that you can begin to know who God truly is. Don't be spoon-fed by somebody else. Know who He is. So that your eyes being enlightened, you can come to understand the hope of His calling, the glory of the inheritance we have in Christ, and the power that is wrought in you the power that is accessible to you. Oh, it's so hard. This life is so hard. You have the Holy Spirit. Let's take advantage of it. I want to encourage you. Start praying this prayer. Start praying it for yourself. Start praying it for your loved ones. Start praying it for the church family. Pray it for your pastor. Let's pray. What will happen if we begin to pray this prayer and then begin to put in the work? Man, the devil is on the prowl. He is on the attack. It's funny, the other day, we were talking, and it was before the children's Sunday school picnic, and we're going to close here. My, I was talking to my son, and I was like, man, I don't the rain, it's going to rain again. And he put together in his mind that it had already rained at the church picnic, and, and then it was going to rain for the children's Sunday school picnic. And he's like, I think the devil's trying to discourage the church. <laughs> because it's raining for all these fun events. The devil is trying to discourage the church. It's not just the rain. <laughs> but we have access to a God that we can bring requests to. And these are the things we ought to be bringing before his throne. And so uh, the ushers have bookmarks. And it basically just has this spelled out on it. And uh, guys, maybe you just do it out even at the door tonight. Let's just do it at the door. When you leave, just grab one of those bookmarks, throw it in your Bible. And would you just use it as a reminder every day as you spend those, those, time, those moments in the Word of God to pray this prayer as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Father, we do pray that you'd be with us this evening. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for how you speak to us. Lord, I don't know um, how all of this comes into application uh, entirely except by just putting one foot in front of the other. So Lord, I pray that first and foremost, we as the body of Christ would be in a position where your Holy Spirit can work. Lord, I pray that there would be no sin in our lives that would hinder you. And if there is, may we turn to you. We know that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that we would put in the time to begin to know you so that our eyes can be enlightened and we can begin to see these truths as the apostle has prayed. Go ahead and stand this evening, if you would.